You are now listening to The Secret Life of a Grad Student. I'm Megan. I'm Laura, and we are two grad students who want to share the untold stories of graduate students past and present. continuing the mini-series on uncommon paths to PhD. I'm here with archaeological scientist Julie Dunn. Can you introduce yourself? Yeah, my name's Julie Dunn. I'm currently working at the University of Bristol. My job title is Senior Research Associate and Commercial Manager, so I kind of do two roles in one. Um, anything else? Oh, yeah. Where did you go to oh. grad school? Oh, sorry. I, and I went to grad school at the University of Bristol. Uh, so the questions for these series are going to be mostly about your personal background and how you found your way into science. And yeah, so we'll get started. When did your career in science start and what stage of life were you in? Yes, yeah, so um, I came to science very late, actually. Um, it was completely a second career for me. I actually started in my late 30s, early 40s. And how I came to it is in, in some ways, it, even I'm surprised that I ended up here, to be honest, because when I went to school and from being a little girl, I loved reading the arts, poetry and so on and so on. So it always felt that like that was, that was my kind of route through life. Um, but my mum tells me I was her child that said, why, mummy, why all the time? I always wanted a why. So how I came to science was... I was actually working as an accountant. I've been doing that all my working life. And um, so not very artsy, but, but it was satisfying. It was interesting. I enjoyed the work. I was never bored. But I always knew that there was something missing work-wise. I always wanted to do something. I wanted to be one of those people who went to work and loved what they did. Um, I knew there were people like that and I knew I wasn't one of them and I knew I wanted to be one of them. So I looked for it for a long time, tried to think, you know, what it might, what the thing might be that would give me that. And it took me to go on, um, I went on a couple of Earthwatch projects. I mean, it's a fantastic organisation that you pay to go on a sort of a mixture of a an interesting holiday and a research project. So one of the ways scientists get funding for particular projects is they take in people like myself, lay people, who come along. And so, for example, my first project was orca whale monitoring, killer whale monitoring off um, close to Washington, Seattle. So I went along and we'd go out on the boat every day, monitor the orcas, you know, find out who was out, who you could see in the pod that day, look at their markings and so on and so on. And then we would go back and do data entry for the scientists. And, um, and then my second project was in a very similar area, but I went to the University of Washington to, uh, to, to, to somewhere that really had a profound effect on me. It's where they keep kept, they're not there any longer, the uh, chimpanzees that speak American Sign Language. And uh, it really did have an effect on me. I was, I thought, oh, uh, you know, uh, so sort of two things happened. I realised it was research that excited <laughs> me. Wow, I see this. I see what these people are doing. And this is so exciting because it tells, you know, you can work on this and it tells you this. And, but the chimpanzees themselves had a, an enormous impact on me. I did a lot of reading about it and I sort of started learning about chimpanzees and that led me into early human origins and, and so on and so on. And so I ended up, 
coming home thinking, okay, so what I want to do, this is what I want to do. And I discovered the path is I've got to go and get a degree and then I've got to get a master's and then I've got to get a PhD. And I thought, oh, well, you know, <laughs> I'll just throw up my pretty well-paying job and move 200 miles and go do this. But it's a decision I've never regretted. To do it, um, so I investigated the route, to do it because I'd been out of education for a long, long time. I did what's we, uh, something called the Open University in the UK, where you can study distance learning. And they're an amazing organisation. And I did a one-year course called Discovering Science, which gave me an in to go to university and, and do the degree. Because obviously they have to be sure with mature students that they are up to the work, essentially. Can you just spend a little bit of time talking to me about um, what it was like to be an accountant and you know, how, how you got into that line of work and just sort of like before you started your career in science and then we can... No, no, sure. Okay. Yeah. So um, I suppose I just fell into it really when I was, I wasn't massively engaged at school. It, 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 I never, I hadn't thought of going to university. I decided to stay on until I was 18 and do a sort of a business studies course. And then I just sort of fell into doing a council essentially. <laughs> moved around the country a little bit and so had I suppose quite a few jobs over a number of years and sort of worked my way up without really being qualified and as I say the works it was interesting um you know I worked for uh, quite a large company uh, my last job was for you know for quite a few years it was uh, people were very nice job was interesting quite well paid but you know I didn't go home thinking, oh, whoopee, I'm going to get up in the morning and go back to being an accountant tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that wasn't part of it. Gotcha. Now uh, now we can get back into, I'm sorry, I sort of like broke your jive. No, that's moment. okay. No, no, no. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, now we can sort of get back into uh, how you ended up doing a PhD. Yeah, how I got from my degree to... Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, yeah I'd done... I, so I... I applied to do archaeology and anthropology because I felt it offered a really good mix of archaeology which I discovered I loved and the anthropology included bioanthropology which includes primate studies in the UK. Did you have to repeat an undergraduate degree? Well I didn't do one when I was younger so right. I, had to, I had to do one because okay. they, won't, they won't let you go straight to a PhD. Right. So I did a degree and then a master's and then a PhD so I did eight years full time of education. Um, yeah, yeah. So so I started this Arcananth degree, and part of it was social anthropology, and I got into social social anthropology lectures. And um, apologies to any social anthropologists out there, but you know the lecturer started talking about structural functionalism and functional structuralism, and and I just thought, oh my god, I absolutely hate this. It's just a load of <laughs> Oh, I just didn't like it at all. And, and I, I freaked out a little bit because I was kind of halfway through the first semester. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, I really don't know what to do now because I don't want to carry on with this for the next, you know, three years. And then I was just luckily, I was sitting next to someone in a tutorial and I, I said to him, um, oh, I haven't seen you before. Because I always really did try and talk to the younger students. I haven't seen you before. What course are you on? He said, oh, I'm on, I'm on the archaeological science degree. And I was like, archaeological science? I didn't know anything about archaeological science. What's that? <laughs> Tell me all about it. So um, it turned out it was a combined archaeology and geology degree. And I'd always loved geology. So I thought, oh, okay, I'm on the wrong course. <laughs> so, but that's, 
a pretty big deal I had to I went and asked if I could move and they were very concerned and they said you'd have to catch up we're really not sure whether we should let you do this it's quite risky and I said look let me do it I, I will do it. I promise you <laughs> I promise you I will do, I'll, I'll do loads of extra work and I'll catch up. And they let me continue on. And it was absolutely the right choice. Um, it stretched me far more, I think, than a mm-hmm. straightforward social sciences degree would. You know, and there were times it was really, really tough. But on the other hand, it was the most amazing experience. As an undergraduate, when you switch degrees from social anthropology to archaeological science. I was going to call it scientific archaeology. I'm like, that's not right. (laughs) Um, To archaeological science. What was it that was really pushing you to say, like, I'm going to do this and you can't tell me now? Yeah, I think just because I, you know, went away and did a lot of research about what that particular degree was about. And I realized just how much of a better fit for me it was. So I knew that I just had to convince them I had two tutors and they both interviewed me separately and kind of quite gave me quite warnings. And I sort of, perhaps they just realised that I was pretty determined. (laughs) And and so they both agreed, but with a real warning, you are going to have to do a lot of work to catch up. Tell me about how you ended up deciding to spend an additional, it's two years for a master's and three to four for a PhD. So how you decided to go ahead and do that? So a master's here is um, usually one year anyway, and my three-year undergraduate. So bear Mm -hmm. in mind that I'd gone from an arts degree to a science degree, and I chose to do that here. And and one of the reasons was, A, because Bristol's very good for archaeological science, but B, because um, it enabled me to get funding, because I carried on as a kind of thing, if you do a four-year, you can carry Mm -hmm. on. Um, Because at at that point... um, you know, I'd gone three years on uh, effectively living off a quarter of my salary. So, you know, m- you, money's important at that yeah. point. You've got to think how you're going to pay the bills. Um, and that, you know, is, a, is, I think, a concern for every mature, mature student. Speaking of finances, like, did you have money saved and that's how you were able to do an undergraduate degree? Well, some, but I had to take um, student loans to pay for what you'd call tuition. And also they give you quite a small stipend. You've got to pay it back, which I took as well. But I'm, what I did was when I moved to Bristol, because I moved from uh, Devon where I lived before, I had a house before, but I really downsized into a very small flat. So the bills were minimal. I had a very small, old, cheap car. I needed I mean I had to have a car yeah but it was old and cheap and small and I instead of not thinking about going shopping for I would go out and if I wanted to buy a pair of shoes I'd buy them I I had to think about all of those things over that period and I just didn't do it and I things like I didn't think about holidays my my trips my you know we went on um kind of research trips we went to Ireland panning gold that's I mean that was (laughs) amazing you know and looked at lots of Irish archaeology and we went on a geology trip to um, Mount Vesuvius and Pompeii so I regarded those as my holidays I mean I had to pay for them but of course you know that was a holiday to me really anyway so um, so I did manage but and I didn't mind making the sacrifice because you were doing something you loved yeah yeah I was enjoying it 
So speaking of doing something you love, can you tell me, uh, without being too technical, what it is that excites you about? I mentioned earlier primates. Well, you know, and chimpanzees remain a particular love of mine. But I ended up moving away from that completely and really going down much more of an archaeological route. And I had really fallen in love with the archaeology, you know, obsessively love. (laughs) You know, it's all massively interesting to me. and, And... I think it was the marriage of using scientific techniques to learn more about the archaeology is Mm -hmm. the thing that really excited me the most. That's why that particular degree really worked for me, because I could bring the two together. It suits my skill set best, because I don't think anyone's going to ever call me the best scientist in the world, but I bring together a good mix of the science and the archaeology to tell the story essentially of of what's going on Um, so what I do is (laughs) so I take very small pieces of pottery and pottery is the most common artifact at any archaeological site luckily it can tell us lots of things it can tell us um, vessel types so for example particular um, forms of vessels can tell us what you know what they were used for Um, but one of the for me, the exciting thing is that what we can do is we can take these lovely, tiny little, and they're only small pieces of potsherd. It's not that common to find whole pots. Mostly you just find <laughs> essentially what you'd call crappy old pieces of pot. And we grind them up and we extract from them using this series of chemical techniques, something called lipids. And these are the fats oils and waxes of the natural world and by identifying these chemically through their structures we can tell what type of foods people were cooking in their pots oh cool yeah so i mean that has enormous implications for things like um so for example one of the really big questions is the evolution of lactase persistence so when did humans mm-hmm. um when we stopped being hunter gatherers started being farmers and we started domesticating animals and then using milk and making milk into butter cheese and so on so we call that secondary exploitation and what happens is over a period of time one of the shortest examples of, a, of the evolution of a gene and that's uh, it's called gene culture co-evolution because what's happening is that we start processing milk in our pots and then we evolve the gene which allows us to to eat it without getting sick but there's lots of other things that we can identify we can identify processing of um, fish um, Mm -hmm. plants so we can see when particular plants were processed for the first time and things like bee sacs and honey that's Um, so so cool so you can really get like a full picture of the human diet Mm -hmm thousands and thousands of years ago that's yes. so that's awesome <laughs> it's amazing <laughs> your body is awesome i know it is awesome i yeah, i understand why you're excited about it yeah. <laughs> um, endlessly fascinating <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah okay so i i feel like we touched on this a little bit when we talked a little bit about finances but i do want to know if like what is the biggest difference between your life now and your life before starting your career in science yeah, um, I suppose, well, um, so now I have a PhD and I'm now employed again, <laughs> which is quite nice, you know, because um, now I get paid to go to work, which is nice because I get paid to do the thing I love. I mean, I suppose the downside to it is that realistically, I've lost probably 15 years of building up a career in that extent, you know, benefits and, and salary rises and so on. So there is a, a, a downside to that. But, you know, I think 
to even really think about that, to be honest. I'm always, I'm just so positive about the fact that, you know, every day I wake up and I want to go to work. I love what I do. And that's really, for me, it's such a blessing to have that. Because, it's, you know, I've always felt that one of the reasons I wanted to, I looked for it in the first place is that, you know, you spend most of your life, five days a week, in work. If you don't like it or, or love it, that's pretty tough. And mm-hmm. I really feel for anyone who doesn't, who hates their work. So for me, it's, I can't, you know, there's nothing really negative about it. Yeah. I'm not, I was never motivated by money anyway. So the fact is, I'm not um, going to be super comfortable rich in my retirement but you know what the heck I've had fun along the way. Did you have any support system family friends encouraging you to pursue this? Yeah so my family have been really supportive really supportive you know and um, my parents you know who are great have you know along the way if I was sort of you know would bung me a few quid to say or you know hey I'll have a bit of money we know it's kind of tough for you sort of thing um so they were really great along the way and and they're immensely proud of me and the other support system was actually so when I went on to the archaeological science degree it was a very very small degree so there were including me there were only five of us in our year so what that meant was that we all became very very close and because we did everything together and we went on all these trips together we were close with our lecturers as well and I mean they were an amazing support so you know when I was trying to catch up and when I was in geology with some of the really tough science I'd be like oh please what are they talking about what's going on I don't know and they were really really helpful like that and I really tried to repay that in the in in where my skill sets were better than theirs. I never wanted to be someone who's like, oh God, help me with this. And, you know, it'd be one-sided. We, we did all get along very well as a group. One of them went on to do a PhD at the same time as me and still mm-hmm. lives in Bristol. The other three have moved away, but he stayed here and we're still really good friends. That's really nice. That is really nice. Can you tell me about a time when being a mature student was a disadvantage? Yeah, I think... I think that is when it was a disadvantage in that um, the main disadvantage was that you, there was a big difference between me sitting in a lecture or a practical and um, them talking about some sort of concept and my fellow students would sort of say, oh yeah, we did that in our A-levels last year and it's all totally there and clear and everything. And I'd be like, mm, I'm not sure if we actually did that when I went to school. Maybe we didn't even know about that when I went to school, you know, so... Plus, when you're at school, you're really taught how to go through the system, as it were, educate. You know, you're taught how to write essays and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, and I didn't have any of that. And I, and I think that was perhaps where the dis- my disadvantages were, in that I was removed from education. So yeah. you've got a bigger gap to get over, to get back into education and, and learn how it works um, but also learn or relearn concepts and so on and so on. On the positive side, I, I have to say, I was really astonished at how disorganised other students were. I mean, so for example, they uh, you'd get given a course manual at the beginning of a course and I'd, I'd immediately scrutinise every word so I knew exactly what was going on when and exactly when essays had to be in. I knew this, that and the other. So my planning would start for that, you know, right, so I'm going to need, oh, right, what books am I going to need? I'm going to have to go to the library. I'm going to have to get all of these. I'm going to have to do this. 
toast organizational skills, practical skills that came mm-hmm. from having been in the workplace for a long time. And I would say to any person who goes back as a mature student, you know, that's where you will really find those sort of things. They really helped. So I'd be all organized and started on my essays like, well, virtually at the beginning of the term, you know, whereas right. the students were pulling an all nighter the night before to write an essay. And I'd be like, whoa. <laughs> I mean, I could never have done that anyway. But um, or I'd they you know something would come up and I say well it was in the manual and they say oh I never read that (laughs) (laughs) oh why didn't you read it you should have done Um, but of course to me it was just natural to be prepared and be organized and that was an enormous that offset that kind of difference in uh, getting back into education I mean it it sounds the way that you put it it sounds so clear like yes you had to play catch up and Mm -hmm. take a bunch of time but you had all this experience and skills to make that not so difficult. Yeah. That's awesome. Plus plus the other thing, you know, which all mature students have in absolute bucketfuls is commitment. I mean, you know, you don't go back and do something like that unless you're a hundred percent committed. I mean, there was no way that I was ever going to fail at any of this. Um, you know, I was terrified when I went back. Can I write an essay? I don't think I can't write an essay. Oh my God. You know, but I, it, the commitment was there and you, you know, that is, I think the most, the single most important thing to bring to it. It might seem tough. It might seem very hard to start, but you just knuckle down and get on with it. And it becomes, you know, it becomes much easier. That's the most important thing I think that mature students really do bring to the table. Would you advise younger students to either take a break between their bachelor's and PhD or to more generally follow the path that you had taken, like someone who, you know, is in a career that they hate to switch and do something that they love? Yes, it's a difficult one, isn't it? I mean, generally you find, or I see, I've seen in the UK that people do go straight from degree or master's into a PhD. And it seems to be quite a well-worn route, really. And I see that you know, the advantages to that are that you stay in the education system, you don't go out of it and lose any focus or anything. You're there, you ca- you're committed, you carry on. On the other hand, there is an awful lot of advantage to going out, getting some experience in something. I mean, archaeology, you find very often that people go away and dig professionally for a while, get some experience in real life, because, you know, I do think sometimes with you see PhD students have just gone straight through the system and you think they really don't have any clue about the world outside, the world of work. And I do think it might be an advantage um, sometimes to go away for a year or two. But on the other hand, you know, you've then got to be pretty committed to want to go back. So I suppose I'm quite ambiguous about that, really. No, I mean, I suppose, um, I suppose the thing I would say is that I would always, um, you know, heart thoroughly recommend anyone who's thinking about going back into education to do it because I mean you all start off with that everyone inevitably starts off with that kind of imposter syndrome don't they oh my god I'm not going to be able to do this I'm not going to be able to go with this and I say to myself look come on Julie look at all these people all these people have got degrees you can you can do this you know so you you kind of start off with that fear but you have to kind of get over that think yes you can do it and just bring to it that commitment and you will succeed. And I would, as I say, I would recommend it to anybody. I, you know, it brought me so much, you know, I mean, in terms of 
meeting people and making friends. So now I, I'm, I'm, most of my work is in Africa now. And, you know, I've met a vast amount of people from literally all over Europe, America, Africa, that I now count as friends who I've, you know, seen over the last 10 years at conferences and so on. So it's brought me, you know, lovely friendships and so on. But also my kind of joy and enthusiasm for what I do is, you know, it's never wavered, never wavered. I've loved every minute of it. That's why I, you know, I'm, all, I'm always very keen to advocate for mature students. to, If that's what you want to do, then absolutely I say go and do that. Thanks for listening to Secret Life of a Graduate Student. Next week, we continue the Uncommon Paths series with former pastry chef and current chemical engineer, Dave Lubertozzi. Till next time, bye.